So today, calmness and happiness. If you're not calm, you can't be happy. It's as simple as that. What does calmness mean? I did, in, in that podcast, which was actually a class I taught here a fortnight ago in Chantry Studios, I did a class called What is a Healthy Mind? I'll just explain why I need to, why, why somebody like me needs to do that shouldn't be the case. We should all know. I have to do it because when you go to the world to find out what a healthy mind is, they tell you what it's not. So they'll say, oh, you know, so if, you, if you're suffering from distress or mental illness, then buy this stuff from us. Yeah, but what's a healthy mind? What is a healthy mind? So the only reason that I know what a healthy mind is, is because of what my students tell me they want from the training that I give. So it's very simple. That's what they need to bring balance to their lives. And as I pointed out last week, it's, it's, it's all the things I'm teaching in the Meditation Superpowers course, which I'll probably do again. There's calmness, focus, relaxation, and mindfulness. And calmness comes first because of all of the things that I have learned that people want, calmness is at the top of the list. So if we're talking about the mind, most of the people in our world are not comfortable with their mind. Sartre, who, who did a, some really fascinating stuff, what, one, of, one of the things he did, just as a gentle aside, is, is a great play called No Exit, where these three people were stuck in this room for eternity. And they created hell for each other with their expectations and desires and wants and needs. So he concluded that hell is other people, which has become a very famous quotation. And it's the, one of the few things that springs to your mind when you're crammed onto a tube train or a bus or something like that and, and everybody's bad-tempered. Hell isn't other people. Hell is people being crammed into a room for all eternity. Those are two t totally different things. It's actually the opposite. Hell is the absence of other people. I, I just mentioned that we aren't comfortable with our own minds. And he said that most of mankind's problems could be resolved if people could just sit quietly alone in a room. And that's very telling. And so if you look at people's lives and what they do and how they spend them, generally speaking, it's some sort of distraction. And ideally, they want that distraction to be persistent so that they're not left alone with the mind. So the mind is seen in, in what I call the common narrative. So see, we've got this wonderful thing now called Google, which if we want to know what the common narrative is about something, we can just go and ask Google. And there's a few ways to ask Google. The common narrative also tells us about the mind and it also tells us about everything else that we want to know. You know, Google, what do I need to do to be happy? 
What do I need to do to be successful? What's the meaning of life? It's it's all in there, and it, and it, and it, what it is is a kind of lowest common denominator explanation of our reality, but one that most people buy into because it's the lowest common denominator, and it's easy, and and it's what you're taught. So. The idea of a healthy mind doesn't include the things that people want to find balance in their lives and, and, and the way that they want to deal with their minds. So everybody comes to something like this as a rule from a how do I stop feeling bad when I'm alone with my mind question, uh, which is a perfectly reasonable question. And it's a question that I asked and which, which is one of the things that started me off on my meditation journey. Because my mind was something that I avoided. And it's only when I looked back at it and noticed that I still, and even to now I still have behaviors that are based on many decades of me doing things so that I don't have to sit with my mind. And the behaviours are still there because they're habits that we have. So there's things that we do. So I find myself doing things to keep myself busy and I don't actually need to keep myself busy. I always think it's the most valuable thing that I could possibly do in the entire world, irrespective of who I'm with or what I'm doing to be able to notice my mind working. Because this is where all the information, everything that we know comes from, comes out of the mind. It gets filtered. So you say something to me, my mind has got the translation of what you're saying, or how you're looking at me, or how your body is, or whatever it might happen to be, and all of the, all of the ways that human beings communicate are all filtered through the mind. So now, I suppose what I'm doing is I'm teaching people to learn to become comfortable with their mind. That's what I do. So the only time now, really consistently, that my mind isn't on my side is in the area of sleep if I wake up, then there are various states of mind that aren't like the state of mind that I can work with during the day. So I'm not calm and lucid and connected. Instead, I've got a name for it, that one's brain fog and the other is brain jelly. So, you know, when we wake up in the morning, we drag ourselves out of bed and we're wandering through the morning ritual, getting ready because we need to be somewhere. Uh, we're a little bit sleep deprived. That's to me is brain fog. Brain jelly is when you wake up in the middle of the night and the mind is in a mood. It has a mood. Generally speaking, that mood's actually not a happy mood. And we know that the mind, mind's not a happy place. We know that from the study by Dan Gilbert and Matt Killingworth, 
where they ask people how happy they are over the course of the day if their mind was wandering. Uh, put an article in, a, I think it was Nature or Science, called A Wandering Mind is an Unhappy Mind. What mind wandering is, is the mind's in control of the inner experience and it's also in control of your awareness. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and the, it's like a psychological bog and you may have the residue of some dream where you're uh, some, trying to overcome some challenge and that's still there. That's what I call brain jelly. So what I'm going to do today is teach you how to work with brain jelly because I've figured that out. I figured out what works for me and what we can do is you can try it out as well. Having said that, these practices are things that I have internalized after years and years of practice. So when you first try it, it might not work so well for you, but it's really interesting to work with the mind when it's in all of these semi-conscious states. And one of the interesting things is, is despite the fact that it's in this state, going back, I think I experienced that in my pre-meditation days, the awareness is aware of the muggy state of the mind. So the awareness isn't part of it. It just doesn't have its usual influence over it by being able to focus so well because there's nothing to focus on. Now you may have thoughts in this brain jelly experience or you may not. It might just be emotions and symbols and so on. So this happened last night and I wrote it down and that's when I came up with the name brain jelly and I also wrote down what I was doing when I wake up in the night if I learn something from my inner experience I type it out and it's a practice that I do all the time it actually calmed the brain jelly mind down and I went back to sleep again and bearing in mind that was the middle of the night I hadn't slept enough that's good this might also be a consequence of me being in the middle of a three-day fast. I haven't eaten since Sunday night. All I've had is water and the occasional coffee. Um, but one of the things I've noticed is that when I fast, and I'll, I'll carry on until Wednesday, when I fast, the mind is more active in a whole lot of different ways, which I enjoy this so I do when I when I fast I do it for two reasons one is to usually do something like I'm doing now which is to kick start or rather get my diet back into the saddle from <laughs> the meandering through the fields of carbohydrate that it's been doing <laughs> to get back on the path and the other is because of the mind because the, the the second and third and fourth and fifth days become really interesting and I learn a lot so, uh, but I only intend to do three days, but it depends how I feel it. Wednesday evening. Hunger doesn't actually come into it. Uh, if, you, if you eat a lot of carbs, it does, but it's not actually hunger, it's carbohydrate mm -hmm. craving. Water, yes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I drink lots and lots of water. I think I must have had about five litres of water yesterday over the course of the day, and that's gone.
so meditation is largely awareness. Mindfulness meditation is largely awareness of the present moment. Although the mind drifts away, we become aware that the mind has drifted away and we return our attention to the present moment. So when we use a, a tool like the bell, by noticing the sound of the bell moving through time, we can stay connected to the present moment. This is the softest and easiest way to connect to the present moment, the bell, which is why most religious ceremonies in most religions have bells or horns or drums or cymbals to provide that consistent sound. And then fortunately in here we've got the air conditionery sort of sound. And there's in the distance somebody sounds like they're using a chainsaw. And so the modern mind would perceive all of this sound to be unsatisfactory. This is the same modern mind that becomes frustrated about so many things that we refer to as first world problems. But there are so many of them and they're so persistent and consistent that they become frustrating and irritating and annoying. But through meditation, we can actually use those sounds. And use the sounds as a way of connecting to the movement of the sound through time.
And then when we move to the movement of the belly, when we focus on it, we focus on the movement. And when we recognize that the movement of the belly, the rising and falling, is a cycle, it's a cycle that repeats consistently, continually. Again, we're able to connect to the present moment through noticing that. Rising, falling. And what we're going to do is a little bit of noting practice to get us to the meditation to use with the brain jelly or jelly mind or whatever we want to call it, the foggy, foggy brain, the foggy mind. We need to get there and so we can begin by noting the breath, we'll practice this just for a few minutes, noting the breath as you breathe in Say in your mind, rising, as you breathe out, say in the mind, falling. So we're using the mind to note the breath. And the mind does it all on its own. So we just give it that instruction. Note the in-breath, rising. Note the out-breath, falling. And notice that whatever sounds there are, are just there the same way as the breath is there the same way as the bell is there for the meditator to notice the movement of time through sound or through the breath or through both. Rising, falling.
And at this point, we're indifferent to the mind. Indifferent to the mind, indifferent to thought. Indifferent to emotion. It's just part of the hubbub of the present moment. And if our mind should wander, we just come back. Notice the breath. Rising. Falling. Rising. Falling. If the mind does wander, it doesn't matter how long the mind wanders for, and it doesn't matter how many times the mind wanders. It doesn't matter if there's a constant chatter, or if there's silence, or the occasional message from the mind. all about the breath. It's all about coming back to the breath, returning to the breath. And now as part of the noting the cycle of the breath practice, what we're going to do is acknowledge thought when thought arises. Notice that that's all we're doing. We're acknowledging and accepting that thought has arisen. Nothing more. 
And we do that by repeating a statement in the mind. Thinking, thinking. It's an act of self-compassion to do this. Because for many of us, thought is something to be resisted or avoided or suppressed with activities. And there are thoughts, the, the organism that we are, the brain, the mind, is sending these thoughts to our awareness for us to be aware of them. So step one is to acknowledge the thought. So a thought arises, we say in the mind using the inner voice, thinking, thinking. And then back to meditating on the cycle of the breath. Rising, falling. Rising, falling. or even we're not sure whether it's a thought or not, doesn't matter, it's free, there's no cost to making the statement, thinking, thinking. Back to the breath, rising, falling. The breath is only there for us to stay connected to the present moment so that we can notice the flow of life. All the internal and external phenomena. It's the vantage point from which we perceive the present moment.
So we're all at all times on a spectrum somewhere. Me, you, everybody. And the mind is somewhere on this spectrum. And the spectrum starts clear mind at one end, jelly mind at the other. Same mind, just different state. So now what we do is put the breath into the background and just be aware of it. We're no longer noting the breath. So all the breath is, is a manifestation of the present moment that's persistent. So you can use anything else. So you could use whatever sound there is. So you're aware of it. And here we are in the present moment. And what we do now is with a very light touch we're waiting so patiently with so much compassion for whichever thoughts arise. Doesn't matter what they are. And to do this, our inner awareness is, is resting very, very lightly on the space where thoughts arise or on the in the space where thoughts emerge from. doesn't matter. Either of those will do. If you're not aware of a, a space where thoughts emerge from, doesn't matter. But there is a place there's an experience where thoughts arise. So let's take two different, completely different sorts of thought. One is the inner dialogue. That space in which it arises is where we can hear it, so we're listening for the next thought. Whichever word or sentence or phrase that the mind forms. So that becomes a listening space. Another sort of thought is visual thought. So our inner eye is perceiving that. We're looking within ourselves, we can see the image. That's the space where visual thoughts arise. And the sort of 
quality of the experience is the same as when we're taking our pulse or somebody else's pulse. There's your finger on the pulse. And you're just noticing it beating. So the heartbeats arise. in a space in our awareness. That's the lightness of touch that we apply to the experience of waiting for thoughts to arise. And when they do, saying in the mind, thinking, thinking. and then back to that space. Could be the visual thought space or the audible thought space or the, the symbolic thought space or however you perceive thought in the same way, however you perceive feeling when you check a heart rate. That's the quality of experience when we're waiting for thought. We notice it, thinking, thinking.
maintaining an awareness of sound or the breath to help you stay connected to the present moment and coming back to that if the mind wanders. And this is a light focus on thought. And now without any acknowledgement of thought, just maintaining your awareness on that space where thought arises and staying connected to the present moment through the movement of the belly or the breath, sensation of the breath or sound passing or whatever it happens to be. And we have this light touch awareness of thought. And notice the flow of thought as it passes through time. If we come bound, become bound up in the thought, what we do is just step back to noticing the breath and then allow the thought to pass through time in the background.
and noticing the breath rising and falling. Saying in the mind, rising, falling, rising, falling. Noticing sound passing through time. Sound, thought, my words, your breath, the bell. Everything in the present moment, all passing through time. Gently return your attention to your surroundings. Okay, so that meditation was what I call light focus. And so it's, it's as far away as we can be from thought and still notice it. So it's not a, a, a deeply focused meditation. If we moved over to something like labeling the quality of thought, that's designed to draw you into the point of origin of thought and deep into the space where thought arises. And in, so instead, this is, this is designed for us to be aware from the experience of the present moment, still connected to the body, of thought arising. That works particularly well when the mind is very muggy, powerful, unhelpful, it's just not going to listen. Okay, so there we go, there's another class on calmness. <laughs> 